22 is in the section of Jeremiah talking about God's condemnation of the leaders of the people that had led them astray. In Jeremiah 22, he's focused especially on the kings. In Jeremiah 23, it'll be more the prophets and somewhat the priests. But all the nation's leaders were really leading them in the wrong direction with occasional exceptions. Now, Jeremiah 22 really depends on understanding the history of the last few years of Judah. So I put on the board a few things that might help. Josiah was the last good king. He was the boy king, and so as he got older, into his teenage years and early adulthood, he began to seek the Lord and really led a huge spiritual reformation. And uh, he died young when he tried to withstand Pharaoh Necho when he was coming up uh, through the Megiddo Valley to help the Assyrians stave off the Babylonians. Pharaoh Necho killed Josiah in 609. The people made Jehoahaz. All the rest of these kings have two names. They have their regular name and their throne name. So he, the people made Shalom rename Jehoahaz the king. He reigned three months until Necho came back through and he took Jehoahaz, that is Shalom, off to Egypt and made his brother Jehoiakim, original name Eliakim, king. Jehoiakim rules for 11 years. He dies. In his reign, Babylon came and he served Babylon for a few years. Babylon took off Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in about 605. Then Jehoiakim rebelled against Babylon, that is, quit paying tribute, and realigned with Egypt. And so when Jehoiakim died, Jehoiachin, his son, original name Jeconiah, Oconiah, he reigned three months before the Babylonians took him off into Babylonian captivity and made his uncle, third son of Josiah, king. His name had been Mataniah on the throne. It was Zedekiah. He reigns for 11 years. And he goes off into Babylonian captivity when the whole nation was destroyed. Now there's a couple things I want you to think about and know about this. One is just trying to get these in your head. Jehoahaz, three months. Jehoiakim, 11 years. Jehoiachin, three months. Zedekiah, 11 years. That kind of helps. The lineage of Jesus does not go through Jehoahaz. It does not go through Zedekiah. It goes through Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, etc. So Jehoiachin was the last ruler on the throne in the lineage that will lead through Jesus. That's helpful to know. Also remember, you have these three waves of Babylonian captivity. In 605, uh, where he took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into captivity, and others in Jehoiakim's reign. In 597, when he takes Jehoiachin, Ezekiel, and others into captivity. And then in 586, where he takes pretty much everybody else into captivity and destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and so forth. That's Babylon that's doing those things. If you can keep that in your head, and if you kind of know that, then it just makes a lot more sense of what we're looking at. You have some feeling for what we're dealing with. 
It's always helpful to understand Kings and Chronicles when you're dealing with this, these prophets, at least the prophets up to the time of the exile. Do you have some comments and questions about that historical overview? Okay, now we have looked then at 10 through 12 of Jeremiah 22. Look at this again for a minute. Do not weep for the dead or mourn for him, but weep continually for the one who goes away, for he will never return or see his native land. For thus says the Lord in regard to Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who became king in the place of Josiah's father, who went forth from this place. He will never return there, but in the place where they led him captive, there he will die and not see this land again. So do you see what he's saying? Don't weep for the dead, Josiah, but weep for the one who was taken into Egyptian captivity, Shalom, because he's not coming back home. He'll die in Egypt. So that's his a prophecy about Shalom Jehoah has. All right, that kind of catches us up. Do you have any questions or comments to this point? Okay, thir 13 to 23. <coughs> Woe to him who builds his house by righteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work who says, I will build myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did you not drink your Did you not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it is well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness. For shedding innocent blood and practicing <laughs> oppression and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry from Abiram, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth, that you did not obey my voice. The wind shall eat up all your rulers, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then you will be ashamed and humiliated for all your wickedness. O inhabitants of Lebanon, making your nests in the cedars, how gracious will you be when pangs come upon you like the pain of a woman in labor. Alright, there's a lot in this. Notice in 18, we are talking about Jehoiakim. So this is the next king in line. And he really exposes his uh, sinful attitudes. Um, he says, woe to him in verse 13 who builds his house without righteousness and his upper rooms without justice, who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wages. Now, what you can see all through these statements is what Jehoiakim really treasured and valued. What did he really like? His house. His house. Now, if it's a king's house, we'd call it a what? Mansion or a palace. Yes. And he really wanted a really cool palace. You know, he wanted something extravagant. I will build myself, verse 14, a roomy house 
with spacious upper rooms, cut out its windows, paneling it with cedar and painting it bright red. Now, what would make a king so interested in having a great palace? What do you mean by public interest? So that the, the people take notice and notice that he is better than all of them. Okay, yes. You know, one of the things a king wants, you want to look kingly. You want to try to impress people. People do that today. You know, do people ever um, build really nice houses so that other people will notice that they live in a really nice house? Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, look at this. Look at this. Uh, better not. Um, do people ever buy cars so that, you know, other people will notice, hey, I've got a really cool car, and so forth. Do you ever be able to buy clothes thinking, now people will see me as a really successful or really cool or really fashionable or whatever. People get to thinking about trying to impress and, you know, having a cool palace means you're a really successful king. However, it looks to me like Jehoiakim didn't really have the money and the resources to provide the kind of palace he wanted. So what's he doing in verse 13? Yeah, he's taking advantage of his subjects to work on his building projects without paying them fair wages. You know, he's got all these great ideas about the kind of palace he wants, and so he accomplishes that on the backs of his, uh, the people he's king over without really uh, providing for them adequately. That's, that's what you see in Jehoiakim. You know, and it just shows you how shallow he was. When, when what you're mostly trying to do is impress people and look important, that's shallow. That's empty. Who wants that kind of lifestyle? That was Jehoiakim. Now, I think this is a really good question in verse 15. You know, Jeremiah says, do you become a king because you're competing in Caesar? In Caesar? You know, is that what really makes you a king? Man, I got the best palace. You know, I've got the most expensive palace in, in, in the country. That I'm a great king now. I mean, do you become a really good person because you got the nicest car or you got the best clothes or whatever? I mean, does that really matter? Does it matter to you? You know, think about it. Um, how much emphasis do we put in our status and in trying to impress other people? I, I, you might even ask this question. How much emphasis do you put on other people having nice stuff? Girls, guys, would you be more interested in a girl or a guy that you were thinking about developing a relationship with if they had a really nice car, if they lived in a really nice house, if they took you to really nice places to eat, and things like that. Or does that really not matter much when it comes to a relationship? There are people that, man, if you can impress them with your stuff, well, they'll, they'll want to be around you. That's shallow. You know, that is 
didn't make you anything. Man, an idiot can have a nice car. You know, that didn't prove anything. So, so we ought not to be so impressed. He said, you know, you really become a king because you got this great palace? Is that what makes you, you know, a good king? He says, um, look at this. He says, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. Now, who's his father? Josiah. And what was Josiah like? Yeah, he was a really good man. He was a righteous man. He was more or less a model of what a king ought to be. And what, what did Josiah emphasize in his kingship? Justice. Justice and righteousness. He tried to rule well. Rule in a godly way. Be fair and just and righteous in how he administered the government and how he ran the country. Isn't that a better model for kingship than just having a great palace? Man, look at my palace. I'm a good king. You know, he said, that's not what he emphasized. Josiah was able to eat and drink. You know, he was fine. He had what he needed. But his goal wasn't to get the greatest monument to himself he could ever build. His goal was to be a righteous, fair, just king. That's what makes you a king. You're not a king because you got a bit, you got more cedar in your palace than the next guy does. He pled the cause of the afflicted and the needy. Then it was, well, is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord? There's what knowing God is. As a king, you stand up for the rights of the people who've been wronged. You know, you, you, you be just, you be fair. You administer the government according to the principles of God. That's what will make you a good king. You're not a good king because you got all this stuff. We got to really concentrate on that because one of these days you're going to be say looking for a house and what are you going to think man if I got that house people would really look down on me because it looks kind of crummy and it's not in a very nice place and it's not very big you know if I got this you know people would probably laugh at me or whatever I need to get something that will impress people you know and just all sorts of things you're going to think, now are they going to be impressed with me? Forget it. Quit trying to impress anybody. And just really focus on being a godly person. That's all that matters. It's not, it's not anything else. Alright, thoughts and comments on that section uh, down through 16, 13 to 16. That kind of reminds me of people in Haggai who focus more on their houses than building up the temple. They put more emphasis on their physical things and their spiritual. Good point. Yeah, that is kind of a problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And we can do that. We can, uh, you know, we can invest in physical things and ignore spiritual values. That's a problem. This sounds kind of modern here, really, doesn't it? You know? Isn't it amazing how people haven't changed very much over the last, you know, few thousand years? <laughs> and think about verse 17. But your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain and on shedding innocent blood and on practicing oppression and extortion. <laughs> there is, there's where he's at. You know, dishonest gain. Uh, a king can often get stuff if he really wants. 
You know, he, he, can, he can get, you know, he can gain dishonestly. And that's what he was interested in. He oppressed people, he took advantage of them to build up his, you know, policies. So, what was going to happen to him according to verses 18 and 19? What's going to happen in verse 18? You're going to lament for him. Not going to lament for him. Not, yeah. Which means what? When would they not lament for him? He's dead. When he died. <laughs> Saying they won't lament for him when he dies means what? He likes him. Yeah. You know, like, Nobody's going to be sad when he's gone. <laughs> it's it said in 2 Chronicles 21 about Jehoram, king of Judah, that he died with no one's regret. That's kind of a zinger. You know, if you die and nobody's sad about it, uh, that's not a very good thing. He said, nobody's going to lament your burial. Can you imagine some uh, prominent preacher today going to a prominent government official and saying, when you're gone, nobody's going to be sad about that. <laughs> Can you imagine that probably didn't make Jeremiah exceptionally popular with Jehoiakim? Um, but that's the truth. He was so wicked. He took advantage of people so much. He used their services without paying for them. Everybody's glad when he left, when he died. So I think that he got exactly what he did want. Exactly. You're exactly right. Instead of impressing everybody and being highly thought of because of all these palaces, people resented him, uh, him because he took advantage of people so much. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, you can kind of see why Jehoiakim really resented Jeremiah. Do you know, I don't know if any of you remember this from later on in Jeremiah, if you studied this. Do you remember what Jehoiakim one time did? that was kind of really mean towards Jeremiah. Who remembers this? Is he, he's not the one who put him in that pit, is he? No. He took what Jeremiah wrote. Remember this? Yeah, he took a knife and started cutting it in pieces and throwing it in the fire. That's what he did with Jeremiah's prophecies. He did not like Jeremiah and what he wrote. You're not surprised, are you, if you've read this? You know, uh, and he says that when you die, verse 19, what's going to be? What's it going to be like? Which means what? Very low. And what? Will not be buried. Yes. How? What? What do they do to bury a donkey? Just throw it out somewhere. Yeah, drag it outside the city and leave it for the you know vultures or whatever. Who's gonna bury a donkey? Who cares about a donkey? You know? Can you imagine somebody saying, well, "I found this donkey alongside the road, so I, I, you know, <laughs> took my shovel and dug, dug a hole and gave it a proper burial." You know, a few people buried a dog, but who buries a donkey? Yeah. I know someone in particular that would that might might bury his donkey and kind of save his life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Balaam, on the other hand, 
I thought if the donkey would have wanted to be buried by Balaam, but uh, yes. <laughs> he said he'll be just dragged off and thrown out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Now, that's really shameful. You know, just to take Jehoiakim's body out where it won't smell and leave it to be devoured by scavengers. But that's what he says is going to happen. It does say in 2 Kings 24, 6 that Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, but it doesn't say like it does for some of the other kings he was buried with his fathers. He died with his fathers, but evidently they didn't even bother to give him a decent burial. So that's what God thought about Jehoiakim. And uh, it's not uh, too encouraging. Comments or thoughts through 19. Where's the prophecy that is taking the boards and cutting them up? You know, if you hadn't asked me, I'd have told you. Um, I think it's 36. Yeah, it's 30, Jeremiah 36. In 20, go up to Lebanon and cry out. Lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry out because all your lovers have been crushed. Now, you know, they turned. Judah did. All these other nations made all these agreements with them and, you know, all that. Well, when the time came they needed help, none of those guys were around to help them. He said, I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. And that's the way you've always been. You know, you've never listened to me. This is what God says. So now the nations you've turned to for help, they won't help you and they can't help you. The wind will sweep away all your shepherds. Your lovers will go into captivity. So much for depending on, oh, I don't know, Egypt or Assyria or whoever else they were turning to for help. That's going to not help because they're going to be gone. They're not going to be able to help you. Um, he said, you dwell in Lebanon nested in the cedars. Now, think about Jehoiakim. Where would, where would he have built his palace more than likely? Someplace higher. Mm, okay, but where would you build a palace if you're the king? Middle. Well, yeah, in the city. capital city, which was Jerusalem. So why did he say, you who dwell in Lebanon? Where was Lebanon? What direction? Up north. Jehoiakim didn't live in Lebanon. How would he say you who dwell in Lebanon? Lebanon was up there with Tyre and Sidon and the Phoenician area. It's not where Jehoiakim lived. He lived down in Jerusalem. But he says you who dwell in Lebanon. Idols. No. Uh, what was Lebanon especially known for? What? The cedars. He's living in a palace made with wood. Yes, he's got so much cedars of Lebanon in his palace, it's like he's living in Lebanon. He's brought Lebanon down to him. He says, ah, so much for that. You know, you can build, you can dwell in these, you know, really ritzy palaces furnished with the cedars of Lebanon, but you're going to groan when pangs come upon you, pain like a woman in childbirth. You know, you're going to, you're going to, what, what do people say, you know, you're going to squeal like a baby or, I don't know, <laughs> cry like a baby, I don't know. There's some kind of a phrase we use sometimes. 
But that's what he's saying. So much for all this stuff you got around you and all these elaborate, lavish, magnificent palaces. When, when I bring judgment upon you, you're going to howl. Comments and thoughts there through 23. So, he dealt with Jehoahaz, he dealt with Jehoiakim, bet you I know who's coming next. 24 to 30. As I live, says the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the segment on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off, and I, would, and I will give you into the hands of those who seek your life, and into the hand of those who face you fear. The hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, there they shall not return. This is the man whom I have a, a despised broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure. Why are they cast out, he and his descendants? and cast into a land which they do not know. Uh, o earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, for a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judea. Okay, who is he talking about here? Coniah. Mm -hmm. Now, that is the nickname of the original name of Jehoiachim. His original name was Jeconiah, Coniah for short, and that's really the same as Jehoiachin. And so that's who we're talking about. And he says, even if, even though Coniah were like the signet ring on my right hand. Now, saying, you know, the signet ring on my right hand would be like the most Precious thing. You know, married people, what do they think about like their wedding ring and their wedding band and things like that? If they're still in love, hopefully, with their mm -hmm. husband or wife, how do they treat that? It's very important. Yeah, very special. You ever known anybody to inadvertently lose like their wedding ring? How do they feel? It's really upsetting a lot of times. You know, it's like, because you really treasure that. I understand it's a symbol, but still, you know, it's a very special thing. That's what he's saying. You know, even though Coniah was a special, precious, treasured object, and the truth is he wasn't, <laughs> but even if he were, you know, I'd pull you off and throw you to the people who are trying to kill you. You know, because of Jeconiah's wickedness, even if he were that special to God, God still would yank him off and throw him into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar and hurl you, verse 26, and your mother to a country where you weren't born and you'll die there. That's what God was going to do with Jeconiah. He reigns three months and Nebuchadnezzar takes him to Babylonian captivity and that's where he dies long time later when he died, because he was young. But that, that's what happened to him. So he's saying, you know, even if I really liked you, you know, you're a goner. Uh, and it's worse than that. He said, you won't come back to the land, verse 27. Verse 
28 is is this guy such a loser why have his he and his descendants been hurled out into this land he says okay land write down verse 30 write that this man down childless a man who will not prosper in his days for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of david or ruling again in jerusalem god is saying he's the end of the line you know, his descendants won't prosper ruling in Judah. Now, normally, the lineage goes father to son, right? That was what you'd expect. So you'd expect after Jehoiachin, it's going to be his son reigning and his grandson. No. After Jehoiachin, the Babylonians took his uncle and made him king. He was a weak king. He was almost, if you know this expression, a puppet king. But he wasn't in the lineage of Jehoiachin. He was his uncle. Nobody in Jehoiachin's lineage, it's, it's a dead end. You know, they're, they're over, none of his descendants prosper reigning in Judah. Does that cause you any problem? What's the problem with that? He's got to have a child. He did have a child. But he didn't reign in Judah or prosper. What's the other problem with this? The line of Jesus is on this. That's exactly right. Jesus is one of Jeconiah's descendants. So is he not going to reign as king? No. Maybe that's the answer. I actually think this is part of the grace of God that after rejecting Jeconiah, God came back and received him again and blessed him again. I think that may be more the idea that God, by his grace, turns around and blesses him even after he'd rejected him and thrown him away, which is a remarkable blessing that he gives. Uh, because, I mean, really, Zechariah was named the lie. If it hadn't been for God redeeming his lineage and blessing him. Actually, one of Jeconiah's descendants was Zerubbabel, who was like the leader, the governor, that, uh, that brought them back from Babylonian captivity even. So, so God was really gracious and merciful in their situation. Comments and questions on chapter 22. In fact, he even reverses the terminology. He says that Zerubbabel is like a son that came to him. Good point. Uh, that is Haggai too. Yeah. Good point. If you look at the end of Haggai, it is, God, God does reverse that. He says, you know, in, in the last verse of Haggai, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So he threw Jeconiah away, even, even if he'd been a signet ring, then he takes one of his descendants and makes him a signet ring. God comes back in mercy and blessing and reverses that edict. That's pretty, pretty incredible. And I, that's a good point. He uses that very terminology in the end of Kaiga. Other thoughts and comments? Okay, so that's the kings. There are other wicked leaders besides kings. 23, 1 to 8. 